Good morning. Good morning. Before, uh, before we get, get into the Word of God, I wanted to just bring to you a brief update about uh, Pastor Z, uh, Zbigniew uh, Hoynatsky, and he's in uh, Ostrada, Poland. It, because your outpouring of love has been amazing, and I told you I wanted to keep you up to date. So he and I have been corresponding, and uh, he is uh, just, this is the latest news. He's been helping people find more permanent places to, uh, to, to settle outside of Ukraine. They've been able to find places even in other countries, uh, in their own city. He was blessed that a person that he didn't even know called him and said, hey, I've got two rooms available. They're uh, not really that big, but they're available. And he was able to get a family in those two rooms. So he is still working hard. He sent me just a beautiful note about receiving the last gift that we sent. He was just over overwhelmed. He's, I'll share with you a few of the things in his note. He said, it is so good to see people as you uh, who feel so strongly uh, about our ministry for refugees because of your generous heart and helping hands. Your gift is the greatest help we could imagine. And I want to say that our wonderful God is giving more than we can imagine or even dream. We would like to express our gratitude to you for showing your care and interest in the fate of Ukrainian refugees who are in Poland. It is certainly a terrible experience, therefore any help given to them is worth its weight in gold. We are grateful to God for your wide open heart and generously sharing of your financial resources with those who need this help so much at the moment. We thank you on their behalf. So he is just overwhelmed in that we have been able to support him so quickly in their time of need. He continues to struggle with the overcrowding at their retreat center. And I know it's weighing on him too that their, their retreat center is a camp really. It's in the summertime mainly a youth camp. And they have, they've booked it in advance as you can well imagine. So... He's, he's wondering now, how am I going to manage this? I, I've booked the camp. We have many uh, churches and kids who want to be here in the summer. What are we going to do? How are we going to be able to manage this? And uh, right now, though, the place is full of refugees. He was able to get the number of 184 down to about 141 was his latest note. That was just on Friday. And he's grateful to God, but they're still packed. The, the capacity's 120. He's, he sent a little picture of just beds uh, in the hallways that are just lined up, mostly mothers and children, uh, still, still being cramped into these quarters. They're feeding them uh, diapers for uh, children, clothes, so much that they're doing. So he is super grateful. Uh, that was... Uh, it was actually Thursday I received that. Then later, it was in the evening, I received another note that said, please pray for me. Tomorrow I have to have some heart tests. My heart has been acting up. And you could well imagine if your life was upended like that, you, you might be struggling a little bit. So we heard a word of encouragement this morning to pray, to ask, and to seek 
and to knock. And let's do that on behalf of our, our own church, but on behalf of you know, this church uh, across the Atlantic Ocean, this church in Ostrata, Poland, too, and their pastor who is doing such a work, and he is struggling. So uh, I believe, and uh, Brother Barry had mentioned, yeah, there's some language issues. I think what he was telling me was he was having a stress test on Friday, which was just the other day, right? So uh, in awaiting results. Let's keep uh, that church and their pastor in our prayers. Uh, we are going to keep this morning on the uh, on the focus of the Holy Spirit, who's been so active here in our church, and I am just so encouraged. I have been, uh, I've just been praying and seeking God. Uh, this, you know, this I'll call a series we've been having. It was, it's kind of a loose word because I'll tell you what, I really wasn't sure. I didn't super plan it. Uh, I've been just calling on God. I really didn't know what I was going to be talking about this morning because I've been trying to say, let's follow how the Holy Spirit's been in the life of Jesus. And I wasn't here on Monday where typically we'll look at the next Sunday and some of the songs that are being sung. I wasn't even here and didn't really have them in my mind. But I was praying and, and just reading the word of God and I felt like, all right, Lord, this is, this is what you'll have for your, your people. And when I then... Friday, I was looking, what songs are we singing? God just knows what he's doing. That's all I'll tell you. He knows what he's doing. And uh, we're going to hear a song. This is a song about the spirit of the living God. Now, we already have sung the same power alive in us today. Is the Holy Spirit alive in you this morning? We're going to sing Right now, I hear a song about the spirit of the living God. Our God is alive. Yes, we're celebrating his resurrection next Sunday, but let me tell you, we celebrate the living God every single Sunday, the resurrected Christ. So take in this song about the spirit of the living God, and then we'll get into God's word.
with us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Make this your prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me and use me. Just fall on us, fall on us, Lord. Your spirit come down on this room, Lord, this sanctuary, every house, every person joining us. Fall, fresh spirit. Fall, fresh spirit. We love you, Lord. We invite your presence. We need your presence. And we thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Oh, we need the spirit of the living God, don't we? We need that living presence of Almighty God. And uh, I want to keep reminding you of that. I want it to keep being fresh in our lives. His spirit, it's the same spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the spirit that we're inviting to fall on us and be fresh in us. And we celebrate the living Spirit of God, and I have already said it, next Sunday, the resurrection. Yes, of course, but every Sunday, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every day is Resurrection Day because our God's alive. He's not dead. He's not so, we don't go to some gravestone and look down and say, well, there's Jesus. No, he's alive and he is, uh, his, his presence is real. And, you know, We just sung this. We just sung, the spirit of the living God, melt me, melt me, and mold me. Man, that is a powerful image, isn't it? Melting, melting. Think about this image, and the Bible uses this image of melting many times. The image, it's used when someone confronts a powerful person or or a powerful army, or one army up against another army, or sometimes we'll see this image of melting being used when a person stands before the power of Almighty God. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. The, the Bible's full of them, but I'll give you a couple of examples from the book of Joshua. When Joshua's army uh, was routed by the men of Ai, and Joshua, he fell on his face before God, and it says, The hearts of the Israelites melted. They melted before this powerful army. 
in Joshua chapter 2, there is a Rahab who took in the Israelite spies. And she tells these Israelite spies, our hearts melted. The, the, the people there of Jericho, their hearts melted because God is the God of heaven, she said. Your God is the God of heaven and the God of earth. Our hearts melted. Psalm 22 uses this image of melting coupled with suffering. And it says of the one who was suffering, my heart has melted within me. Now, we, know, we understand this image and we use it. Sometimes when we have a very beautiful moment, a very a beautiful moment occurs in our life and we might say, oh, that melted my heart. If you think about this, if you think about melting, melting just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. Melting in the physical sense uh, of something, whether it's candle wax or a piece of granite, and they both will melt, it, it takes a certain amount of heat and it takes a certain amount of energy, power. Now, think of that image in terms of your heart. You know, what do we do with our heart? We protect our heart. I know I protect my heart from certain things. I don't want certain heat or energy to touch it. You know, that's our human nature. We surround and protect our heart from a variety of things, a variety of things. And if we say, Oh, that touched my heart. Well, that, that means that whatever we've put in front of our heart to protect it, whatever barricade, whatever barrier, whatever defense that we've used to keep in front of our heart, if we say something touched our heart, that means, well, we let that down. Typically, if something touches our heart, we let it, we allow it. Uh, if we hear the laughter of a baby, uh, we, we, we can let that touch our heart. and It's not a thing at all. We don't even try to stop it. And we say, oh, that just it melted my heart. It touched my heart. But what about a person in need? If we, we see someone in need, somebody that's, uh, that's down and hurting, but maybe ah, that's just not a person. We feel we we associate with, or we don't like that person for whatever reason. Do we let that need touch our heart? And then beyond that, beyond just touching our heart, actually melting, melting our heart. If you think about it, just say it, melt my heart. I don't really think we like it. I don't know if I want my heart melted. We, we might do our best to keep away from that, keep away from something that's going to melt our heart. But God at times wants to not only touch our heart, but even he wants to melt our heart. And do we resist? Do we resist? Have we ever kept the Lord from touching our heart or even melting our heart? Well, I know at times in my life, I, I'll admit, I've done that. I, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm keeping up some barrier. Resisting. But again, we just, we just sung a song. Melt me. Mold me. 
when we sing words like that, do we mean it? Or are we resisting God? Our heart, is, it's internal. And I'm not speaking of the natural blood-pumping heart, but this heart that's the seed of our, our emotions. And, and sometimes we cover our hearts with layers and layers of insulation, if you will, to keep others out to keep being affected by feelings, by emotions, even to keep God from touching our heart. And it seems to me a lifetime ago, I want to give an example. It seems a lifetime ago I was in engineering school, and I took a class that was called heat transfer. Imagine a whole class, 16 weeks, talking about heat transfer. That was the name of the course. And what it was is studying the way that heat moves. How it moves through things like solids and liquids and gases. How heat moves from one object to another. Heat moves in a particular way. uh, Three ways, convection, conduction, radiation. We learn all these things. And I learned every material has uh, certain thermal properties. For example, uh, uh, there's a property that's called thermal conductivity. So if you write an equation about that, uh, that's the K value. That's the K value, thermal conductivity. And then there's thermal conductance. It's sort of related, but uh, different ones. One's about rate and time and another. Anyway, uh, we don't have to get into all that, but it's called the C value. There's the K value, conductivity, the C value, conductance. But every material also has a thermal resistance. Now, you might guess what that's called. Anyone want to guess what's the thermal resistance? What's the value? It's the R value. Yes, yes, I think I heard that. The R value. Most of us are familiar with R value, right? Especially when we talk about insulation. So I brought a little bit of that today, just as, as kind of a, a visual example of what we're familiar with in terms of R value, right? So... We're we're used to seeing things like fiberglass insulation. This one here has got R value 13. Tells us just a bit about how resistant this is to heat. I just got some uh, attic insulation. It's R38, you know, really supposed to, you know, keep heat from moving. I've I've got another little piece here. So this... You know, the R13s, three and a half inches. I got this one here. It's R-value one. Really not too strong against the heat. Uh, but it, it's, it's a layer of protection nonetheless. little thin layer of uh, foam there that's R-value one. We know that the higher the R-value, the greater the resistance. The lower, the, the, the least resistance. And when it comes to certain things in our lives, emotional situations, people's, people's issues, needs, uh, things that are just causing us issues, there's an R value regarding our heart for lots of those things. But when it comes to the Lord, is there an R value over your heart? And how in the world, really how in the world does that connect to Palm Sunday? How does this, uh, let's find out. Let's, let's talk about it. 
I'm going I'm to try to make a connection here. And as I said, I, I just feel like, you know, the Lord said, talk about this. Well, regarding Palm Sunday, all four of the Gospels speak about and, and give the account of Jesus entering Jerusalem on that last Passover or, or leading into the last Passover, I'll say, that he celebrated before he was crucified. And he was welcomed by jubilant crowds. Uh, they laid their coats on the road in front of him. They pulled palm branches off of trees and threw them down in front of uh, the little donkey that he was on. And uh, as I said, it's in all four Gospels. We're going to touch on John's Gospel. We heard earlier from Luke's Gospel. We're going to touch on John's Gospel, chapter 12. A very brief background. Uh, John recorded that Jesus had been staying in the town of Bethany, which is just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. Uh, he was at the house of his friend Lazarus. Lazarus was recently raised from the dead. Jesus had brought him back to life miraculously. Uh, it was now a Sabbath day. Jesus was at Lazarus' house having a meal. It was six days before the feast of the Passover that would be celebrated in Jerusalem where the, the city would just fill with people. And people were already on their way. They were already making their way to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this great feast called Passover. Soon crowds would be streaming more and more into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So now we pick up John in John chapter 12, verse number 9. I'm going to read through verse 18. It says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there in Bethany and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, so it was Sabbath, the next day, that would be the first day of the week, what we call Sunday. The next day, the great crowd that came, from, came for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, to meet him shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So because Jesus was performing great miracles, people were coming out to see him. But here it is now. It's another day. We've talked about some tense moments in Jesus' life. This is another day of drama and tension. There are murderous plots being made against Jesus by the chief priests, and they're not only conspiring to kill Jesus, but they're conspiring to kill Lazarus. Why do they want to kill Lazarus? He's already been dead once. They want to kill him again because Jesus did this wonderful, wonderful thing and brought him back from the dead. They just did not like that. This is how evil they were. Well, now then, 
this crowd gathers and they're hailing Jesus as king. Uh, they're meeting him with, with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna. And we read that John wrote, Jesus' disciples, they just didn't get it. They did not realize all of these things that had been written about Jesus and the things that had been done to him. They didn't realize the things that were written about him. They didn't realize that it was the prophet Zechariah who had written that uh, Jesus was going to come in on this donkey that, that Zechariah had written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. They didn't realize these people were hailing Jesus, saying, blessed is the king of Israel, that Zechariah had written these things. And they didn't realize the conspiracy to kill him. They didn't realize that the leaders were conspiring not only to kill Jesus, but to kill Lazarus. These were the things written about him, the things done to him. They just didn't get it. Now, John explained they did not realize until after Jesus had been glorified. In other words, after Jesus had been resurrected. They didn't get it until after the resurrection. Now, we read a similar passage last week that was very similar in the Gospel of John. Again, he gave some explanation. It was about the living water. I want to touch on it again because it's a great example of what he means here in John chapter 12. This was John 7, 39 about the living water. And John wrote, by this, Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. All right, so John added that bit of explanation. Jesus would be glorified, then the Holy Spirit would be given. Now in the passage in John 12 that we just read, John explained that Jesus' disciples didn't realize something. They didn't realize what had been written about him. They didn't realize what was being done to him until after Jesus had been glorified. And so what he's, he's saying is they didn't realize it until after they'd received the Holy Spirit because that's what happened. He had said that in John 7. They didn't get it until Jesus was glorified and they received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was given after Jesus was glorified. And so when they received the Holy Spirit, they received revelation. The Scripture came alive to them. They, they began to understand it. It suddenly began to click. It was making sense. The Scriptures began to coalesce in their minds after they received the Holy Spirit. They understood that the prophets had been over and over again pointing towards Jesus. And the gospel writers, Matthew does a great job saying, oh, and Jesus did this, and he fulfilled this scripture, and he fulfilled this scripture. Why? Because now he got it. John's doing the same thing. He's explaining things. How did John know about Zechariah and pointing to Christ? It, it came together when he received the Holy Spirit. He received revelation, the, this idea that uh, there was a conspiracy and all of it. They began to comprehend the, the conspiracy on Jesus' life, his arrest, his death sentence, his execution, all of it. They were a part of this great, wonderful, divine plan 
plan and purpose of God, as awful as it was, that he had to go to this cross and that he received the death penalty for the world's sin, they begin to realize and understand Jesus, he was this sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. He was the final and the complete sacrifice for the sin of the world. And it was because John received revelation and he received the Holy Spirit, the spirit of revelation, that he could write his gospel. And he could write things like God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That was by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who had filled John after Jesus had been glorified. John had received that Holy Spirit and that is how he could explain that uh, the prophets pointed to Jesus, how he could write what he wrote. But while he was with Jesus, while he was walking the earth with Jesus, before Jesus was glorified, John and the other disciples, they were confused. They didn't realize certain things. So on some occasions, some of the followers of Christ were, uh, they, they seemed downright skeptical. They were asking many questions. Yet, in these times of questioning, there, there was a sincerity of heart that, that these followers of Jesus expressed. When they were confused and they were questioning they stayed with Jesus. They stuck with him. They continued to follow Jesus. Just a few days after Jesus entered Jerusalem to all the accolades, to, to all of those people waving the palms, once again, some of his closest companions, his, his closest followers, they began to ask him some questions. In John chapter 14, it lists some of the questions. Jesus answered but it was evident. These disciples just, they weren't understanding. They weren't grasping. Jesus was trying to explain it. And in John 14, he begins to explain, hey, the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to help you out. He said, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he will be in you. I will send him. And on that day, in John 14, Jesus said, on that day, you will realize well, that's pretty amazing. That's some, great, that's some great things. On that day, what day was he talking about? On the day when you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you will realize what I'm talking about. On that day, the day that the Holy Spirit was no longer just with them, but the Holy Spirit was in them. They would realize all of these things that Jesus had been teaching. And Jesus went on, John 14, 15, 16, to say, the Holy Spirit, he's coming. He's going to help you. He will teach you. He will help you. But before that, as Jesus taught them, they just didn't understand it all. But they continued with him. Even though eh, they didn't get it, they're asking questions, they, they weren't resisting. In their confusion, in their lack of understanding, they didn't resist what Jesus said about himself. They didn't resist what he said about the Father. They didn't resist what he said about the Holy Spirit. Yes, they had their weak moments. We can read about their weak moments. I mean, there's the human side, which we can all relate to. I'm grateful that the Gospels tell us of these human moments of the followers of Jesus because I say, thank you, I feel that... I'm in good company sometimes when, 
when I'm doing some of the same things, these weak moments. They ran for their lives when Jesus was arrested, but they didn't turn against him. What about the adoring crowds on Palm Sunday? What about those waving palm people? Did they turn against Jesus? They welcomed him. They welcomed him with just great jubilation and adoration. A few days later, there were crowds demanding Jesus' execution. Crowds from Jerusalem demanding he be crucified. Crowds welcoming him, faithful Jews there at the the temple or there in Jerusalem, and now crowds demanding his execution. The chief priests, the leaders, demanded his execution. And they saw to it, they saw to it that Christ was crucified. Now what differentiates these leaders and, and these crowds of people that were crying out for Christ to be crucified, what differentiates them from the disciples who ran from him? Well, we learned something about it. We learned something about it when we look at at another innocent who was killed. And I want to just look at this incident of someone else who was killed. And I think we can learn about just what was going on with the people who first were worshiping Jesus and giving him great adulation. And then they were, oh, calling for his crucifixion. And that innocent person, his name was Stephen. Stephen was a sold-out follower of Jesus. He was a leader of the first church in Jerusalem. And he performed great miracles, it says in Acts chapter 6. That got him noticed. You do something like raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus did, it got him noticed. Let's kill him. I really don't understand that, but that seemed to be the way it was. So Stephen was doing some miracles uh, by faith in Christ. That got him noticed. A crowd was stirred up. They accused Stephen of preaching that Jesus would destroy the temple and change the laws of Moses. His accusers brought him before the Jewish ruling council. And in his defense, Stephen began to say, let me just tell you a little bit of the history of our people. So he gave a history of, of of Judaism from Abraham to Jacob to Moses to David to Jesus. And he went on to say, standing before his accusers, which was a crowd of people, and the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish ruling counselor, and he said, you murdered the righteous one. You murdered the righteous one, and you disobey the law. And you know what that earned, Stephen? It earned him death by stoning. They turned on him right then and there, and they stoned him. Before, just just a moment or two before they, they turned on him to stone him, This is what Jesus said to his accusers, that crowd of people, and the council. This is Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. In other words, your hearts and your ears are covered. and they got some insulation. They had some insulation in front of them. They're blocking. They're resisting the Holy Spirit. And Stephen said, you always, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You know, if you, if you ever talk to a counselor, they tell you avoid words like that. If you're trying to resolve conflict or issue, you should 
avoid these absolute terms, these absolutes that have no way out. There's, they're, they're totally unconditional, absolute, never, always. Always just doesn't really leave much wiggle room. But Stephen said it, always. You always resist the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's constant, it's incessant, it's ongoing, this resistance. You always resist. But a statement like that, you always resist the Holy Spirit, there's an implication to it. What does it imply? If one is always resisting the Holy Spirit, it implies the Holy Spirit's always making an impression, doesn't it? It it, it implies that the Holy Spirit is ever drawing, that he's constantly uh, uh, appealing, attracting. And get this, even to the worst of sinners, even to, to the ones who murdered the righteous one, even to the ones who murdered Jesus, the Holy Spirit's always drawing, always, always appealing. And yet they were always resisting. You know, it's not too hard to come to that conclusion that the same rulers who had conspired to kill Jesus and to kill Lazarus, they succeeded in killing Jesus, and then they hurled stones at at a person like Stephen. It's not hard to conclude that they were resistant to the Holy Spirit, incessantly, always resisting. Oh, but what about Stephen's accusers? These were just devout uh, Jews that were in Jerusalem. Were they resistors of the Holy Spirit all the time? Were they always resisting? Could they, have, could, could they have been part of the adoring crowds on Palm Sunday? We don't know for sure. We don't know if these same people that crowded around Stephen and accused him were there in Jerusalem on the Passover, but it's plausible. The Bible doesn't really tell us for sure. But what we do know is there was a crowd of faithful Jews heading to Jerusalem, some already there, who waved palms before Jesus, said, hey, King of Israel, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were, you know, they're worshiping him. Could they, in that moment of worship, could it be that this could actually happen, that in a moment of worship, oh, our King, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you know, saying, Hosanna in the highest. Could someone who's doing that simultaneously at the same time be resisting the Holy Spirit? Could they be always resisting? And you know what? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Some can show the appearance of worshiping. You know, we could could show an appearance of worshiping Jesus while at the same time resistant to the Holy Spirit. Those people who were waving and shouting Hosanna to Jesus, if they were resisting the Holy Spirit, how could that be? How could that be? They were were worshiping a Jesus of their own making. That's how it could be. They They were worshiping a Savior that they had defined. It was a Savior of their own definition. They fawned over an image of Jesus that they had conjured up and created in their own mind by their own heart's desires. They wanted a king of a kingdom on earth. That's what they were looking for. They, they didn't desire the king of kings 
whose kingdom is not of this world. No, they were adoring and worshiping an image of an earthly king that they so desperately wanted because they wanted a king to free them from the tyranny of their Roman occupiers. They, they were not adoring Jesus as Lord. They were not worshiping the righteous one who had proved his power and his authority time and time again to forgive sin. They did not yield their hearts in repentance and and admit their need for redemption. They were resisting the ever appealing Holy Spirit who convinces and convicts of sin. And you know, sometimes we resist him too. And how might we resist the Holy Spirit? We've talked about neglecting his gifts. We let them sit idle. We don't stir them up. We don't fan them into flame. We don't let that river of living water flow. It's resisting. We can become kind of stiff-necked at times and follow the desires of our own heart. Listen, I know I've done it. I know I've done it. And I'm not, I'm not letting the, the Holy Spirit do what he would do and, and give me the desires he has for me. Some, some who would say they're Christian have created a false image of Jesus in their heart. Just like those who are waving the palms at, at, at some image of Jesus that just was not who Jesus was. Some have created an image of Jesus who will grant their definition of an abundant life, success and possessions and health and never pain and never suffering. Now that's a new age Jesus. That that is a new age Jesus uh, who's responsible to take orders from us. You know, there's been a role reversal in that. That uh, who, who reigns supreme in that, right? It's... It's a role reversal where someone's reigning over Jesus and and telling him what to do and demanding him. You know, and sometimes we might slip into kind of a demanding mode and kind of make Jesus subordinate to us. That's resisting the Holy Spirit. It's resisting. There is in our value, we got to deal with sometimes. That, that covers our heart. There's an our value that we, we've got to deal with. And, you know, we've we, we got to peel it away. We've got to peel away that resistance. You know, just start peeling it away. It, it, I can't tell you what it is in your life. But if you look inside, I think you'll know. You, you'll know what you've got to peel away. No, we cannot invite the Holy Spirit to fall fresh on us, to melt us, and to mold us, and and to fill us, and to use us, and make us into an instrument that he desires for us. We can't do that when we've got this resistance. We've got to peel away these layers, you know, take it from R38 to R13 to, to R10. And, and keep peeling it away. Will you let him melt your heart? Would you let the Holy Spirit melt your heart this morning? You know, this Palm Sunday, you know, are, are you waving the palms and adoring a Jesus of your own 
of your own definition? Resist not the Holy Spirit. Resist not the Holy Spirit. Let him melt your heart. Let let him melt your heart. Get get rid of whatever's blocking, whatever's in the way. Let him melt you and mold you and fill you so he can use you. Use you with a heart that adores Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin. Let's let's remove all the resistance. Get it down to not even our one, our zero. Can we make it an our zero when it comes to God, when it comes to Almighty God? Remove the resistance. The Lamb of God who is risen, he's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Let's, let's this morning, this Palm Sunday, let's put aside any notion of a Jesus that we've defined. Let's adore Jesus for who he is. Let's adore Jesus as supreme. Let's worship him as the head over all, over all, the whole world. Let's shout Hosanna to the Savior of our souls. Let's wave palms to the forgiver of sin. Let's worship Jesus as the Lord of our lives this morning. Let's let the Holy Spirit, the living God, fall fresh on us this morning and melt us and mold us and use us. Would you stand to your feet? And let's let's sing this song again and... uh, This is something for you. It's not for the person next to you or in front of you. It's just for you. Will you let him melt you and mold you? If you sing these words this morning, sing them with the the most genuineness and sincerity that you've ever had. Say, God, I'm going to get rid of everything that's, that's covering or blocking or resisting. I do not want to be one to resist you. And when you sing, melt me, mean it, melt me, God, melt me and mold me. I don't want to be me. I don't want to be the one who, who tells you what to do in my way. Oh, I want you. I want you to make me into someone you can use. Let's, let's sing it and mean it this morning. Oh, we thank you, God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for that great gift promised after Jesus was glorified. God bless every single one here. Lord, everyone who sincerely called on you to melt them and to mold them. Lord, may your spirit be fresh in our lives every day, every day. God, as we walk out of this room with fresh palms, may it be a reminder that we call on you for a fresh visit of the Holy Spirit every day and to never, ever resist him. And if we do, God, to peel that resistance away, to lay it down and allow you, our good God, to do as you have for us. May your desires be our desires. Thank you, God. And may we never, ever define Jesus other than who he is, Lord of lords, King of kings. Lord, bless everyone as they go. Keep them, watch over them, bring us all back to celebrate your resurrection. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And we commit these prayers into your hands. Amen. Amen.